to read the last few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, verse 17, and uh, on down to verse uh, 21. So if you would, uh, if you're able, uh, let's uh, stand together as we read the scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, verse 21. My uh, thought today, my message today is that genuine science and the Bible are not enemies. Genuine science and the Bible are not enemies. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, uh, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some, professing, have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes as we consider these truths that are given to us in the passage we have just read. We pray that uh, we'd all understand that it's we who are being referred to when we're told as preachers to charge them that are rich in this world, that we be not high-minded. Lord, we are rich in this world compared to the world at large. We're certainly a, a rich and blessed people. And Father, we thank you that you have given us freely all things to enjoy. We Thank you that we are reminded not to trust in the riches and the wealth and the profitability and the stock market and the jobs and the uh, homes and the pleasures that we have because we are Americans. And so, Father, help us to understand that uh, that, that is uh, the basis of the, uh, of the question before us today, that uh, some who uh, are caught up in such things... Uh, uh, also get caught up in the other offerings of the world and and this science falsely so-called is sometimes what people turn to uh, maybe some inadvertently uh, lord so father we pray that you'd help us to recognize the difference between genuine science and science falsely so-called we ask you to bless the uh, the preaching of thy word today and the reading of the scriptures in jesus name amen storms of life are there but uh, they will pass. This too will pass. And Christ within us, Christ among us, Christ above us, Christ our all in all. The Bible tells us that and in all things he might have the preeminence. Take your Bible back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 again, verse 17 to 20, where we read there. Genuine science, the title of my message, genuine science and the Bible are not enemies. Uh, now, just as though there are those who pursue what the Bible identifies uh, as false, as science falsely so-called, there are also those that pursue genuine science. And genuine science is a good thing. It's always concerned with discovery, uh, with arriving at the truth of something. So we're, we as Bible-believing Christians do not oppose science if it's genuine science, the problem is what the scripture identifies as science falsely so-called. This uh, science falsely so-called has other objectives than 
the simple pursuit of the truth of something. There are objectives involved in it. The pursuit of truth is quite often secondary to some agenda. The denial of the possibility of the existence of God is one of those agendas. One of those driving forces in science falsely so called. The kind of science that Paul had some exposure to when he's writing this to Timothy is to be careful of and be aware of the oppositions of those that are involved with a science that's falsely so called. The the view, that kind of a view of science is, is somewhat predominant today, isn't it? We uh, certainly have our, our um, stories that we can all tell about the, um, the, the persons that we have had contact with or been taught by or so forth that we would classify as those that are involved in science, falsely so-called. The, the view that we're familiar with, that kind of uh, you know, science that opposes the scriptures and the authority of the scriptures, that view, we're familiar with that one, but it's not always been the dominant position that science has taken. There are eras in historical science where prominent men and learned men of science were not antagonistic to the Bible and were not those who denied the veracity of the scriptures. The idea that one could be both a scientist and a biblical believer were not uh, things that were incongruous in days gone by in the history of science. Such antagonism came into vogue in the latter half of the 19th century. It really came back to prominence again, began to come back to prominence and worked its way forward to the prominent position that you see science falsely so-called in today. It, it was as a result of the rise of two cooperating elements that took place in the world and culture in the world. The first one was the rise of German rationalism in the schools of higher learning, in the, not only in Germany, but in all of Europe. The theological schools, the philosophical schools, the schools of higher learning in Europe. One of the uh, attractions of the uh, intellectual uh, um, process in Europe was, for Americans, was to travel abroad to study in these theological seminaries in various places in Germany and in Europe um, because of the, of the advanced uh, intellectual nature of these, some of these schools, some of these universities that were there. But uh, the whole concept of this rationalistic point of view setting aside the supernatural and trying to explain everything rationally and naturally, that is, uh, that's the foundation of uh, this European rationalism. And so that was one of the elements that contributed to the uh, change of positions uh, and the rise of, of what, we would, what we Christians would identify as science falsely so-called. The other one, the other element that was uh, occurring at the same time as this popularization of rationalism in Europe and then bleeding over into American culture 
The other element was the, uh, the uncritical embracing of the theories of a man by the name of Charles Darwin, the son of a preacher, one who had at one time studied theology, but rejected the scriptures and turned instead to determine if he could find some means of identifying something other than what the scripture said about the origins of mankind, the origin of species. And at the time that rationalism was taking root in all of the theological seminaries across Europe and into America, at that same time came this element in the scientific world of uh, Darwinism and and the uh, theory of evolution of species, the theory that was popularized by Darwin and picked up by others in various transmutations that have come down to the present that uh, still find their their definition in some form of uh, evolution. So those two elements were working hand in hand, so to speak, from the late 19th century into the 20th century. And along with those came the rise of um, modernism in the theological schools, intellectualism, the enamored, the way that uh, our institutions were enamored with this intellectualism and with this pursuit of so-called higher learning and so forth. Uh, From that time, science falsely so-called was given a front row seat as theory repeated often enough came to be taught as fact without bothering to go through the scientific process. The appeal of all this to the sophisticated classes was the release from accountability to God that all of this preaching and all this uh, Bible thumping and all of these uh, revivalists and all of these um, pastors across the the theological board were were preaching an accountability of some sort to a creator God. And so here was a release for the sophisticate, a release for the intellectually proud, a release for those that wanted something beside the, uh, what the, uh, the churches had to offer uh, in accountability to Creator God. The effects of the rationalism and the evolutionary theory and the embracing of that across the pond, across the waters, soon spilt over into America, into our uh, schools of higher education. The three that we think of immediately, Princeton and Yale and Harvard, were all instituted as... Um, places of higher learning for those that were, particularly for those that were training for the ministry. That was the center uh, focus of the reason why Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and uh, Brown, and other universities, uh, many of the Ivy League schools and other universities in the East were founded principally for the purpose, not only for the purpose, but principally for the purpose of educating ministers, educating young men for the gospel ministry. And so uh, with the infecting of these schools with German rationalism and the uh, scientific theories that were abundant and cast about in those days, with the infecting of these schools uh, and others uh, with that uh, philosophy uh, came, the, uh, came the change 
from the pursuit of, of science, which we would call genuine science, to the pursuit of science falsely so-called. And so it was. Many of the ministers in the, in the teens and the 20s of the previous century, of the 20th century, many of those ministers struggled with the, the rising tide of evolutionary theory and it seemed like every, every uh, you know, university and, and place of higher learning was embracing this and preaching this and teaching this. Many of the uh, ministers of the era outside of the fundamentalist camp were, were enamored with it. Were, they'd already, you know, many of them had already sort of leaned in the direction of wanting to get away from the, from the idea of the, the ignorant fundamentalists, you know, that just believed the Bible was the Word of God and preached it as the Word of God and didn't question it at all, wanted to get away to, more, to a more refined, a more genteel uh, a more intellectual approach to, uh, to faith. And so with that happening, even among some of the, you know, uh, Bible-believing element, with that happening and the influence of modernism and liberalism in the theological schools, there were, there were offered up explanations in the hope of, of, um, of uh, compromising between the two, compromising between biblical faith and what science was saying was was telling us was was the uh, fact, and that we had to embrace this, and that the world was not just a few thousand years old like the Bible says, but millions of years old, and and uh, the idea that these things were gaining such popularity in the popular culture was a real threat to uh, preachers who really had not a great deal of background in the pursuit of the sciences and uh, the. Uh, you know, understanding the geologic column and all of the various elements that were uh, being touted as uh, some sort of evidence that the uh, theory of evolution might be correct. And so they were responded with various theories of their own. One prominent preacher, C.I. Schofield, was, a, was a, uh, a wonderful preacher of the Word of God, but was infected with this idea and so came up with um, something that had been bandied about in the century previous, uh, what's come to be called the gap theory. And so in, in order, in an effort to explain, well, okay, then we, if, if we have to uh, concede millions of years, where are we going to put that in the Bible? And so the theory was, well, let's put it between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Let's put millions and millions of years in there. And then, uh, you know, we'll start at Genesis 1 in the beginning, you know, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And then go to verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. So let's put a gap in there between those two sentences and put it, make it millions of years. And so uh, God created the heavens and earth and sat there for millions of years and, you know, gurgled and bubbled and bubbled and gurgled and, and uh, life came and God, you know, put a little spark there and, uh, and he started the process of evolution and evolution took place and it occurred and occurred and occurred and finally we got to man and finally we got to Adam and Eve and there we go in verse 2 and so on we go. It's a foolish uh, and an unscriptural, unbiblical theory, and yet it's still believed by some because of the great desire to want to be viewed as intellectually capable uh, and not to be lumped with what those who are the intellectually elite would call, you know, uh, ignorant fundamentalists. So, uh, so these various kinds of theories in Christian circles... Uh, 
uh, have, uh, have been bandied about from then until the present. Uh, and so um, you, have, uh, you have all of that going on in, uh, the, in, in uh, the preface, you know. And that was something that Paul was not unfamiliar with in his era, in his time. So that's what we're looking at. But let me say, first of all, this evening that the Bible is not an unscientific book. The Bible's not an unscientific book. Genuine science is not at odds with the Bible in any place. Uh, if, the, if science is at odds with what the Scripture says in any place, the Bible's right and science is wrong. Okay? That's science falsely so-called. Uh, you as a Christian just need to hang on to that, that fact, no matter how much it flies in the face of what your professor said down there at the university. You know, um, bring your professor down and let us talk to him for a little while. Let's see if he really can prove what he says is true, is fact. So let's see if he can prove that scientifically. Let's ask him to tell us what the scientific method is. And let's ask him to explain to us how he's gone through the scientific method to come to the conclusion that his theories are fact. And if he can't do that, then you and he are on the same footing. He believes something and you believe something and neither one of you can go through a scientific process and go into a laboratory and through uh, chemicals and experiments prove your position. Both of them have to be accepted by faith. The question becomes, you know, who has to exercise the greater faith and where is the greater body of evidence? Where is the greater body of evidence? Is it with him or is it with you? And at that point, the things get interesting. And so uh, that's what we're talking about. The Bible is not an unscientific book. Genuine science does not pursue an agenda. Genuine science isn't looking to advance some belief. Genuine science is simply interested in getting from the known into the unknown and learning things that can be proven later as fact. Theory and hypotheses is very important in the scientific process. Theory and hypotheses are very important, are essential. We don't learn anything without first coming up with a theory and a, and a hypothesis to test that theory. We don't learn anything new. Uh, we proceed from the known to the unknown in science, but at no time do we say in, in the genuine science, at no time do we say, you know, I am just going to, I'm going to hammer on this theory and hammer on this theory until finally everybody f accepts it as fact. And that's exactly what has occurred in science falsely so-called. Genuine science requires evidence. Genuine science requires experimentation, independent confirmation, and verifiable proofs. That's what genuine science uh, requires. Science falsely so-called comes up with some guy that's put some fossils together and uh, has said, you know, here's a dinosaur with feathers and it proves the, uh, you know, the uh, transmigration of species, the mutation of species and the, uh, the uh, you know, the missing link, we found it and so forth. Until a little later, uh, he's, it's found to be fraudulent and the, and the thing was a setup and so forth. And they, they usually don't come back and apologize for that and say we were wrong and we jumped to conclusions and we didn't, we didn't uh, you know, do our homework on that. And they very seldom come back and say things like that. But time and time and time again, in my short experience as a Christian uh, over these last 40, 50 years, time and time and time again, I've seen it happen and seen it happen and seen it happen and seen it happen uh, because 
Genuine science does require evidence. It requires independent verification. It requires experimentation, confirmation, and verifiable proofs to come to the place where we say something is a fact. Until then, we simply call it a theory and a hypothesis. Genuine science has never offered proof that the Bible is something other than it claims to be. Genuine science hasn't uh, doesn't have an argument with the Bible. You know, genuine science does not. The earth and the heavens and the elements are all dealt with in the scripture and dealt with scientifically and effectively and accurately. The, the times, the seasons, the origins of life are all spoken of here. There's only one that was around when, when uh, life originated. And we have his word recorded. He's, he's the only one that saw it. He was the only one there. You weren't there and I wasn't there. So I'm taking the word of somebody who was there that saw it. So no scientist was there. Uh, Darwin was not there. Uh, no one else was there, but God was there. God was there. And so uh, I'm going to take his, his word for it, the times, the season. And when you, uh, the more you read the Bible and the more you see in the Scripture and the more you read about the, the, where it does touch upon science and the heavens and the earth and the, and, and the, uh, the, the bodies, the celestial bodies and the uh, atmosphere, uh, the, the various uh, uh, scientific tr truths, the water cycle and so forth, uh, all of those things that the Bible touches on are uh, accurate scientifically. Secondly, the objective uh, science uh, has reached the place of recognizing that the Bible uh, what the Bible's always said, that, that life begins at conception. Objective science, I mean genuine science, has finally reached that place uh, and, and has by and large admitted that. Uh, they've recognized that life begins at conception. We've known that since we've been believers because the Bible says that, doesn't it? Stated in Scripture thousands of years ago that life begins at conception. Psalm 139, look there for a minute. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 17. Uh, when you're talking to somebody about, uh, you know, um, life and the beginning of life, this is a good one to use. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 17. The Bible knew things thousands of years ago that scientists are just beginning to get today. And I thank God for them beginning to get it. I'm glad for them. Science has come to the place, too, where they... Admit that all human life traces back to a very few original elders. In fact, they've said two. In fact, they've called them Adam and Eve. They're saying it facetiously, but they've called them Adam and Eve. And they have admitted that all DNA, all human DNA traces back to uh, an original mother and father. So, well, we knew that all along, you know. We, we didn't have to... Uh, have independent confirmation from science on that, but I'm glad they caught up with the Bible in these latter years. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 17 says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect and complete. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! And in Jeremiah we hear the prophet saying this uh, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit in 
Jeremiah 1 verse 5, he says, Before I, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. The correct term for conception on forward is that a mother is with child. That's the biblical term. We're, it's incorrect to say the mother is with a fetus. That is an incorrect term. The, the correct term is, in, in any sense, scientifically or biblically, the, the correct term is with child. With child. A fetus, the term fetus is a relatively recent invention. It's not even in some of the older dictionaries. I have uh, Oxford English Dictionary from uh, 1949. It's not even in there uh, other than in this sense. It's uh, the definition of the fetus refers to the, uh, the fertilized egg of a chicken or the fetus as the, as the um, life in the, uh, in the womb of a, of a barn animal or a rodent. And so uh, the term fetus was never until recent years misapplied to humans, uh, to, uh, to a child, a mother with child. It was not, it's just recent, in recent times that that has occurred. And you understand the reason for that because to say I'm with child implies that you understand that there's another human being that exists apart from you, even though it is in your womb. You recognize that being with child means there's two of us here. There's two of us here. Now, secular science has come to recognize that, but still there's an insistence on science, falsely so-called, to call that life within the mother's womb a fetus, to separate the, in the mind the idea that this is a person that is being aborted, that's being killed. And, and so uh, when, we, when we look at genuine science, we find agreement in genuine science with our position and only when we look at science falsely so-called do we see other terms applied, not even, not even acceptable according to the dictionary definition of those terms. The yearly right to life that, uh, march that uh, Ryan mentioned about this morning, the outpouring in our nation's capital of, uh, of people that are concerned for uh, the right of the unborn. I thank God for those that speak out for that and and uh, take a, a position concerning that. This huge throng of people, hundreds of thousands of people every year that shows up in Washington, D.C. and, and uh, participates in the Right to Life rallies and so forth, these hundreds of thousands of people are primarily going to be Christians. They're primarily going to be people that have understood now that this is a child we're talking about and not just a a mass of tissue in the womb. They're understanding that. And I'm thrilled to see that President Trump was the first president to address this group of persons in person. He was there in person. Um, in spite of his failings, in spite of his uh, personal issues, I think, the Lord, God is using him. Whether he knows it or not, God is using him uh, in, uh, in, this, uh, in this whole process of things. <coughs> but he is... Um, he is, he's grown a thick skin and he's unafraid of the media, he's unafraid of the elite Hollywood crowd, he's unafraid of the leftists and doesn't care if they say bad things about him and hate him, <laughs> doesn't care like the other presidents previous to him did care and were afraid. I'm thankful that uh, he, he does, he's able to, uh, uh, to take such a position and in his, um, in his speech to the uh, audience there he exalted the, uh, the truth that 
life begins at conception. I'm grateful for that, uh, whatever, whatever good it does, I'm grateful for it. But I thank the Lord that objective science has come to that place where they recognize that the Bible is right and they have been wrong. That's a good thing. Third tonight, I want to mention this. Although evolutionary theories are prominently taught as though they were verifiable, genuine science has never translated Darwin's theories into fact. Genuine science have, has never agreed with the bulk of science, falsely so-called, who, who call evolutionary theory as though it were fact. Uh, science falsely so-called has been successful in promoting that idea that what you're being taught in school, in the biology class and in the science classes, is fact, and it is indefinitely not. Those scientists who would broach the possibility of intelligent design are largely ignored and kept apart from the circles of the elite among the prominent scientists of today. Um, even intelligent design, which is not, I mean, you could be a, you could be an, an, an unbeliever and you can reject the Bible and still say there must be some intelligent design of some kind behind what we have present with us today. So those scientists who even broached the idea that, hey, might we consider another theory, the theory of intelligent design? Oh, no, we won't, we won't even touch that one. Uh, we'll go away from that. We don't want... We want a certain number of theories that would advance a certain agenda that we have. We don't want just theories thrown out there about the origins of life. So, so uh, there are a number of, there is a growing number of very, uh, very uh, prominent scientists who have determined that there is no explanation for the origins of life outside of some kind of intelligent design. I thank the Lord for them, even though many of them aren't even believers. They're not uh, followers of Jesus Christ. But at least they've come to the place where they can't deny the, the facts scientifically now uh, demonstrated in genuine science. They can no longer deny the facts in genuine science that they see with their own eyes that they get down to the irreducible minimums and they see that the mechanisms even within one cell are so complicated and so complex that it is, there is no possibility of all of that coming together by a great cosmic accident no matter how many millions or billions of years you want to give it. And so thankfully there are those that uh, are ruefully admitting the error of uh, Darwinian evolution. And there are even some scientific books now being written and published and sold uh, dispelling the whole idea of Darwinian evolution, written not by committed Christians, but written by those in the scientific world who are bold enough to recognize that they need to stand for what is true over an agenda that is being put forward by science, falsely so-called. Those, uh, those things are in evidence uh, then again, science falsely so-called is really an emotional and a religious science. It's not genuine science. The kind of science that you're used to and I'm used to, my biology professor in high school was a man named Mr. Cuneo. He was a football coach also of the Pee Wee team. He was kind of a Pee Wee himself. 
but he knew a lot more about football than he did about biology. And, uh, but he taught us uh, biology, and he taught that Darwin's theory of evolution was fact. He taught it as fact. He uh, did not leave any room for any other discussion, any other question. He just taught what was in the book as fact. In fact, pretty much all he did was just read the book because he knew more about football than he did about biology. He knew more about football than he did about reading even. So, so uh, uh, but, uh, but he was going by the book, you know, going by the book and by his own personal beliefs that uh, these things were so and they were un, uh, unassailable truths. I taught them as though they were. Uh, but science, this kind of science that Mr. Cuneo was uh, promoting is an emotional and a religious kind of a science. It's, it's got a drive greater than pursuit of truth. There are worshipers in this kind of science. They uh, worship in the sense that they have placed earth and nature as substitutes for God. It has given them the opportunity to have a God and have a religion and have a system of worship and have the ability to idolize this system of worship and have the priests in the system of worship and the prophets in this system of worship, this science falsely so-called, is certainly an emotional system, a, a religious system of science. It is identified clear back in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 20 and following. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own body between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what Paul uh, said. He said they reversed the order that creation which was supposed to testify and point them to the Creator, they reversed the order of that, and they said, we'll take the creation as our God and reject the Creator. So God gave them up to their vile affections, to their impure minds, and, and uh, that is the foundation of science, falsely so-called. Let me conclude that genuine science is not something Bible-believing Christians should ever fear or shun. Because all truth is God's truth. And Satan is the one who's identified in the Bible as the father of lies. So we Christians ought to be uh, thankful for genuine science. I mean, we wouldn't have any of the uh, benefits and blessings we have as a nation without, without genuine science. And so I thank God for genuine science. And some of history's most profound discoveries have come through the work of Christians who were also scientists. Christians first, scientists second. Michael Faraday is a prominent name. He discovered electromagnetic induction. Electromagnetic induction. If he had not discovered electromagnetic induction, you would not have any electric motors. <laughs> you couldn't do anything. 
Tesla couldn't do anything. You wouldn't have a refrigerator. You wouldn't have an air conditioner. You wouldn't have a car. You wouldn't have anything if you didn't have electric motors. Michael Faraday discovered electromagnetic induction uh, that was the, uh, the basis of electric motors. James Maxwell, his discoveries concerning the forces of electromagnetic waves were very much the basis of Einstein's later work. Einstein said this of James Maxwell, a committed Christian James Maxwell was, not Einstein, but Maxwell was. Einstein said of him this, one scientific epoch ended and another began with James Clerk Maxwell. That's how much he thought of Maxwell's work. Arthur Compton was a deacon in the Baptist church and discovered that light can behave as a particle as well as a wave. And he coined the word photon to describe a particle of light, a word which genuine science still uses today. Arthur Compton, a deacon in the Baptist church. Deacons, I, I'm going to expect more of you guys after I've read <laughs> this guy. You know, he's pretty bright, so uh, deacons get to work. But then uh, Isaac Newton, we've all heard of Isaac Newton. He spent more time in the Bible study than he did in the studies of math and physics, but he profoundly changed our understanding of nature with his uh, law of universal gravitation and his laws of motion. He invented calculus, or I wouldn't say he invented it, but he perfected the use of it in science. Um, he built the first reflecting telescope. He showed that sunlight is made of all the colors of the rainbow. He did numerous, numerous other things, to, uh, too numerous to mention, but uh, one of many prominent scientists of days gone by, Charles Towns, uh, more recently, just died in 2015, Charles Towns invented the laser. He was a committed Christian as well. George Washington Carver, an evangelist and Bible class leader whose faith in Jesus Christ was the mechanism through which he carried out all of his scientific endeavors. He improved the agricultural economy of the entire country by some of his uh, discoveries. He promoted nitrogen, uh, providing peanuts as an alternative crop to the cotton to prevent the soil depletion. He understood these things, and they were revealed to him through his commitment to truth. Uh, and so, um, George Washington Carver, you wouldn't have a peanut butter sandwich today if it wasn't for George Washington Carver. <laughs> uh, we love our peanut butter, but he's the one that, that invented it. And about a, about a hundred other things he got out of peanuts that uh, uh, we currently value today as, as uh, part of our way of life. So these were all committed Christians, and this is just a handful. There's hundreds more. You can find it in any list. Don't make me do all your work for you. Uh, <laughs> you can find it in any, any good list and, and read of the hundreds of men that were committed Christians that uh, were also uh, eminent scientists. And so we thank God for the fact that the Bible is clear. A genuine science is no enemy of uh, biblical truth. Let's stand together and give an invitation tonight. Uh, this is maybe a little different than uh, you might think, but my uh, hope is that all of us would uh, be unapologetic about our stand for our faith in the Scriptures, uh, the veracity of the Word of God, the accuracy of the Word of God, and that we would not ever let anyone uh, cow us into silence by spewing various scientific theories that make them sound intellectually superior to you. Uh, you and I who trust the Bible are going to be able to have the clearest concept of what uh, good science really is. And so uh, certainly we need, we need Christians in that field as well as any other field. And so let's uh, ask the Lord to 
to uh, give us wisdom as we respond to his uh, word tonight. And maybe the Spirit of God has spoken to you about some matter um, that you need to deal with him about here at the altar, there uh, in the pew. And we want to give you that opportunity. We'll have a word of prayer. And if you should respond here in this way and humbling ourselves, bowing the knee before the Lord, let's, let's take care of that. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the truth that uh, we can have valid science that, uh, that is a pursuit of truth. We thank you that the scripture is the end of all truth, is the source of all truth. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to recognize the uh, coherence uh, and the cohesion of these two elements, the, uh, the, the pursuit of knowledge and the knowledge that we gain from the Word of God. I ask you a blessing on the invitation. We pray that if we have uh, a need to respond tonight, that you would uh, lead us to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.